The following program is sponsored by Linda's Construction. This is the WCCO Home Improvement Show, brought to you by Linda's Construction. One call, one contractor. Linda's Construction provides Minnesota and Wisconsin with the best products and workmanship. They provide leaf guard gutters, asphalt roofing, metal roofing, season guard replacement windows, exterior siding, remodeling, new construction, and more. If you've got questions, they've got answers this hour. Here's Denny Law and Andy Lindis. Hey, good morning. Andy Lindis taking the day off, the weekend off probably. Out in the woods uh, is my guess somewhere. Yep. But Barry Strands, as promised, is in studio today helping us out, helping you out. And uh, you and I are here. Yes, we are. And a lot of other folks. And happy to be here, by the way. Yes, I am. I'm glad you are because yeah. it would be a rather empty hour without you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I don't know if you recognize this kind of cool guy that Denny Long actually oh. is, but it's fun to be in the studio because he makes it so easy to be on radio with him. He kind of sets you up for success. It's just a phenomenal thing. It's always yeah. a pleasure. You're sure. very kind. There's no heavy lifting. Well, I know, and I'll see that check in the mail, I'm sure. (laughs) Of course. I wanted to ask you something uh, as we move into, and I'm looking at the forecast, of the the lows in the low 30s, maybe the high 20s. Here we go. And as we segue from one uh, fall into the winter, and I've heard this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Are the newer homes, newer meaning maybe the last 10 years or more, uh, are they built tighter? Are houses tight these days? Oh, boy. I'm, I hear it in class all the time. You know, today's houses are just too tight, and I find myself wanting to try to clarify that information for people because I don't think it's understood as clearly as it needs to be what goes on in the wall cavity of a home, how we put them together, what's changed over the years. Yeah. And we're seeing uh, from this past summer and fall the very moist temperature or moist conditions, a lot of... Uh, very excessively humid houses, especially basement spaces, because water will tend to pool in those locations. And as a result, if you've got, for example, a hardwood floor down there, those are, they're moving and they're expanding, they're swelling. All of those things are part of the equation, particularly in houses where as we've built them tighter, and that's a true thing, Danny, we've built them tighter. There's no question about that. The question is, is that a problem? And it's worth noting, because if we don't manage our systems, our moisture, we're going to be in trouble. I think a lot of people believe that, hey, let's just go back to making looser houses. In fact, my grandpa years ago, as we were putting plastic on the ceiling of homes, uh, he would take a screwdriver and poke Poke holes holes. in the plastic because he's like, oh, today's houses are just too tight. And it's kind of like this recognition of, well, how does a house breathe? How does moisture and air move inside a home? And most people don't think that much about it. Go back to the old house with double-hung windows. Think about 1915, 1930, 1950 even. And the windows were almost always double-hungs, which means they slide up and down. Now, for a window to operate up and down, it has to move against the thing that it insulates against. The thing that it seals against. So a casement window or an awning, they swing out and then swing back in which means they're not moving against their weather stripping. They're moving toward it to seal. I hear casements are much more Yes. So from a standpoint of air leakage or air loss, a casement tends to be two to three times more efficient than a double-hung window. And most folks don't understand that. They think, well, double-hung windows, they're kind of the paradigm that everybody wants. But they don't recognize that there's air movement and leakage. Glider windows, now, not all brands, but as a rule, glider windows leak about twice as much as a casement. Hmm. So four to five times as much as a, 
I'm sorry, as a casement, twice as much as double hung. Okay. And because of that, we wind up with um, windows where if you were to put a tissue in front of them on a windy, cold day, you could kind of see air movement. And a lot of old houses, have you heard people talk about the curtains moving? Oh, yes. Doors are closed I remember. and locked with a little bit of a yeah. breeze. Yeah. And still the curtains are moving. Well, what's going on? Air leakage. So the older house needed to be tighter if we were going to manage our efficiencies from a heating, cooling standpoint. Otherwise, you're just taking all that cold air, letting it into the home. The house has to make up that heat somehow, and so our furnace is taxed. So as we began to move to tighter homes, we didn't understand fully where the water that was in the home was going to go. And think about this, Danny. When did dishwashers show up as a normal thing in houses? Boy, I I can't remember. So you're old enough, like I am, to think this wasn't normal. In 1950, we didn't have dishwashers. Absolutely not. And today in a new house, it's not uncommon to see two dishwashers. Really? So we're seeing people are putting a dishwasher in the kitchen sometimes too. But oftentimes, especially in a higher-end house, we're putting a dishwasher in by the wet bar. So if you have a wet bar in your home, why not add a dishwasher so you don't have to haul those dishes mm-hmm. from the bar area, maybe down a lower level or a different level, back up to the main kitchen and wash them there and then bring them back down? Why not put a dishwasher in right there? Makes sense. So we're creating moisture sources that have increased. Spa tubs, for example. We didn't have those in the 50s. So we're looking at moisture source generation that's increased. And because of that, we have a higher ambient level of moisture inside the home. Now, in an older home, that water vapor can move through windows, through leakage. Or if it were to move through walls, it ends up having a pretty easy pathway through the exterior of the wall. Now, how old is the house that you're living in? Uh, Let's see, about 30... 32 years. Okay, so the paradigm shift for house construction was we moved from solid wood exterior surfaces. And I don't know if the listeners understand the word sheathing, but the thing that goes on before siding on top of the outside of the wall surface, we call it sheathing. Today, it's plywood or oriented strand board, OSB. Those are the typical materials. And back in the early years, before 1960 approximately, we used solid lumber pieces of wood. And those were maybe five, six inches wide. Maybe they were wider. My very first house uh, was built in the 1890s. Mm. And, yeah, and we had boards that were as wide as 12 to 14. I even found a 22-inch piece of solid wood on the outside wall that was acting as the sheathing. And on top of that, clabbered siding had been installed. Well, those Mm. gaps that are provided mean that water vapor that gets into the wall through the plaster of an older home, can easily escape because there's gaps in the outside sheathing. Mm -hmm. So a house actually could ventilate vapor through the wall assembly. But once you go to a 4 by 8 sheet of material and then throw insulation into that cavity, you've stopped the wall system from being like the lungs of the home. And the problem, obviously, is if you let water into that space in the dead of winter, that plywood or OSB, it becomes so cold that any vapor that hits it goes into frost. Now, most builders, if you're listening and you're a contractor, by the way, have a happy Saturday. But most builders who open up a wall in January and pull insulation, especially fiberglass insulation out of the wall, will find that there's frost behind it up against the OSB or against the plywood because water vapor inside the home has snuck into that space and condensed in that location and now gone into frost. Well, a little bit of water is not that big a deal. But we don't want that to happen, so the code shifted, and we began to put plastic sheeting on the inside surfaces of walls. And most builders argued that that was the point at which houses became too tight. Mm. Now, what's weird about that is the code never said you had to use a plastic sheet. Oh, it never did? No, and it doesn't even today. It says that you have to use a vapor retarder. 
And the code definition of vapor retarder is a material whose vapor permeance is less than 1.0 perm. Again, I don't expect anybody to understand that. But that means essentially that that brown paper facing on fiberglass insulation that yeah. you'll buy at your home improvement center, that qualifies as a vapor retarder. It does. It does. So you could do that. And in fact, the code shifted now. Again, I don't want to bore people with data, but there are now three classes of vapor retarders in code. There's like a super tight, and then there's a normal, and then there's a fairly loose vapor retarder product. In fact, by code today, a class three vapor retarder is two coats of latex paint. You're kidding. No. So you wouldn't need to use plastic at all if all the code man- mandated was a, a class three vapor retarder. For those just joining us, Barry Strands is filling in for uh, Andy Lindis today. And, uh, you know, for those that maybe are new to the show or new to, to, to Barry, uh, you you do, and uh, I don't know what times of year, you teach code, yeah. among other things. In January, February, March, primarily, it's the contractors' continuing education season. So they've got to come in. And <clears throat> our primary goal there is not to bore contractors. Let's, you know, these guys, they don't want to come to class primarily. Sure. They're just trying to get hours. They need yeah. seven hours to maintain license every year, or 14 actually every two years. And we're just trying to and live in the real world that they live in. And I think one of the things that I work for a company called Professional Education Resources, uh, proedresource.com is our email address, our, our website. And the fun part about working for these guys is we're actually in the trades. We do the work. Yeah. So you've, the, been in the, yeah, you've been in the business for since, a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have a birthday on Tuesday, on, on Happy Day. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm just using that to calculate how old I am. So I'm <laughs> 62 on Tuesday, and I started when I was 15. So when you do the math on that, you're like, no, I've been in the business a long time. And I made most of the mistakes that a person needs to make to learn from them. So like other good. lumber, you can count the rings. Yes, yeah, right. yeah. My hey. kids are looking at me like, Dad, you know, you're getting a little long in the tooth. It's like, yep, that's true. Hang uh, on, Barry. Let's invite our listeners to join in. If you have any kind of a home improvement question, this is the guy you want to chat with. Uh, either by phone or by text. Let me give you the phone number as we head to this break, 651-989-9226. Or if it's easier, uh, send Barry a text, the 81807-81807. And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to our Home Improvement Show, presented every week by our friends at Lindus Construction, L-I-N-D-U-S. You want to get in touch with them, 1-800-LEAFGUARD, easiest number to remember. By the way, if you are just joining us, Barry Strands is filling in for Andy today. Barry does that from time to time. We always uh, enjoy Barry's company here. He knows his stuff, helps you out a lot by, by phone and by text. And, Barry, we have both callers. By the way, you texters. forgot to mention that I'm really, really funny. Oh, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. My wife doesn't think so either. That's all right, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You're laughing. We'll Thanks. get another, another doctor's opinion. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, let's go to the phones. Alan is calling from Minneapolis. Alan, you're on with Barry here on CCO. Hi, I've got a uh, very old 40-gallon water heater that's leaking. And I notice now that the new water heaters, 40 or 50, are much taller. Sure. So I'm going to have to re-drill a new hole in the uh, chimney. <clears throat> it's an old chimney for venting the old uh, oil furnace. Is there a minimum angle that that exhaust vent has to be and when they put it in they went from a four inch exhaust pipe into an adapter that's six inch and is that to eliminate any potential backflow 
or back pressure? Well, I need to know a little bit more about the process there to be giving you a perfect answer, Alan. Number one, if you shop outside of the big box stores, I think you can find a shorter water heater. We've actually put water heaters in crawl spaces that are smaller and mm. 40 gallon. So that might be worth looking at like a Ferguson uh, company where they've got um, industrial supply volume or going through a plumbing company to look at different models. Most of the big box stores sell what most users want. But in your case, you might want to look at a shorter, uh, it'll be fatter or rounder, but it would be uh, the kind of height that wouldn't require the adjustment to your flu. So that would be one thing to think about. A 45 degree angle typically is acceptable based on the distance or proximity from that flu to the unit itself. And normally we don't need more than about a 10 degree angle if we're going to go within, uh, if we're within uh, three feet, let's say. Now, when they go from an adapter, typically they had a six inch in there. So we're making connection to those. But in most cases, you're okay to go, a a four inch could go all the way up. But you're looking at a class B gas vent typically. So most of the time when we go from a four to a six, we're going to a, a single line, not a double line pipe. And so I would leave all of that alone. I wouldn't make any change to that. And if you go into a new hole into that clay, as you're talking about a brick surface, that gets to be a little bit worky. You're going to have to open up a bigger hole. It would be my recommendation to look for a shorter unit so you can stay with your exact same venting situation. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's worth working around, doing a little homework. Yeah. All right. Good luck with that, Alan. Wow. Diane is calling in from St. Paul this morning. Uh, Diane, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I have a kitchen remodel that's in the planning process, and I'm stumped as to how to get everything coordinated. I need to have new piping under my kitchen sink with a new sink and faucet, and I'm going to replace laminate countertops, the one with the sink, and I have four additional ones. One is on an island with an electric cooktop installed, and I want to change it out to a gas cooktop. Uh, I'm going to replace a 30-plus-year-old refrigerator that's in a built-in cabinet surround, and I also need to replace sheet vinyl flooring. (laughs) And I'm trying to figure out how do I do this because it's going to be kind of a step-by-step thing. Something has to be done in in an order. How do I do it? Yeah. Well, Diane, that's a lot to kind of tackle in this venue. But honestly, this is the kind of thing where I would call Linda's, have them sit down with you, have them look at the whole project. Whether you choose to use them or not, you could take advantage of their expertise from a scheduling standpoint. Uh, The process is actually involved. If you went to a big box store, they'll talk you through the cabinetry, and they'll be great about that. That's fine. But when you're talking about looking at changes of location – uh, plumbing, you're now getting a gas person involved, which is your HVAC company, heating, ventilation, air conditioning company, and you're getting a plumber involved. Now, those specific skill trades could come out and give you consultation, but if they're only moving one sink or, or one appliance, they're not that interested in doing that. There's not, they can't make enough money off of you to justify the time it takes to come out and give consultation time. So that's a perfect application for a, a remodeling company like Linda's to come in give you a sense of scope, and then you can decide whether to use their services or not. But they can help you through the whole timeline and planning. It sounds like you're doing enough volume of work that you really should have a consultant who's in the industry. And I know that some people don't want to risk the sense of obligation. Well, once I've had you over here, I have to use you, your services. That's just not how these guys operate. Mm, They understand that they don't get every job, and they can offer some expertise in the process. I think there's real wisdom in doing that, Diane. 
I, I do too. I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, Diane, we at our house are going through that process. Uh, we have hired Lindis sure. to do that very thing, but it's great because they have all these experts. Yeah. They'll come to your house because we have to have move a stairway right. and things like that. And uh, it, it, 1-800-LEAF-GUARD, they come <laughs> out for consultation. That's free. Yes. And, and it's, I just want to remind people that you know, kitchen remodeling, especially if you're doing everything, that's going to take some time and be really disruptive to a normal lifestyle. That's true. And if you're going to do it in pieces or parts in pieces, a lot of DIY folks get involved in that going, what was I thinking? <laughs> and it puts a lot of stress on relationships. You know, true. it's in the top 10 stressors for all of humanity and, you know, American culture is a kitchen remodel. I believe it's it. It's tough on relationships. It is. All right. Good luck, Diane. 1-800-LEAFGUARD if you so choose. Uh, and, Barry, we have another half hour of the show. Barry Strand's in for Andy today. If you have a home improvement question, call it in or text it in. You're on News Talk 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our home improvement show presented every week by our friends at Lindus Construction, L-I-N-D-U-S. Andy's taking the day off today. Our friend Barry Strands is back. And, uh, again, uh, we're getting some nice comments about your presence here, Barry. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, but for those that maybe don't know him. Wait a minute. Again, I didn't see any presence when I got here. <laughs> what me, are you saying? Let me change. Come on. Me, I, 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 I'm find, looking for ribbons and bows whenever let, you say presence. Let me find a thesaurus. <laughs> um, the uh, a question is, if, if, if people are new to the show or maybe new to you, oh, sure. g- give us a little background. We always like to do that because you've been around a few years. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Started at 15, making a buck seventy-five an hour, working labor on a construction site for my grandpa, who was a general contractor. And then went off to college, had a speech comm major, and uh, came back, stayed in the business, and ended up doing renovation. Moved out of framing into finished carpentry, did that, then started my own company, and uh, then moved into teaching. Started teaching 25 years ago or 27 years ago, I forget now. And a lot of fun it was, but it was terrifying. You know, I was... Well, let's see, it's longer than that because I was 30 years old. I remember thinking, I'm going to have so much more credibility when I'm 40 <laughs> you know, in front of these classrooms full of real estate agents. And, and the thing about it was I had done it. And so I was happy to talk about things I'd done. I wasn't happy to talk about things I had never done. I sure, always felt naturally. like I'm, you know, you're exposed a little bit. And you can only, as a carpenter, you do a lot of things. And you watch a lot of things. But there are things I didn't do, like concrete poured foundations. I didn't want to talk about those things because I didn't understand them very well. And now, obviously, it's like, okay, I can make associations, even if I haven't done everything. But I've done so many things now, at least tried them, done them for myself and then worked professionally with you know guys in the trades who that's all they do and you pick up a lot in the process and I love it I work for Kyle Hunt and Partners now I'm a site supervisor which basically means I schedule and manage vendors which would be the subcontractors on a job to make sure the project comes out and is fantastic that I would imagine so. can be a little stressful oh Denny um, <laughs> I'm, I, I was just telling Denny off the air, listeners, <laughs> that I had a, a problem with a, a situation where I got cabinets delivered from the painting shop that we were using, and they didn't deliver the countertops. So uh, the countertops weren't finished. And, I, and I'm like, well, where are the countertops? Oh, we didn't deliver those. So they're walnut, and they're stained. And it's like, well, I can't set the upper cabinets until I have the countertops to set them on. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So that's, you know, five phone calls. And there's a domino re- effect. To there, reschedule yeah. everybody yeah. to say, and then to tell the homeowner, you know, we don't want our vendor to look like a moron. But we don't want to look like morons, you know. We're like, what happened here in your brain? I sent you the plans. You know exactly what we're putting together. There's only four units and then two tops. How hard can this be? Oh, and it's, that's part of the fun of the job, learning to roll with it. And hopefully you have customers who understand. And when you don't, then you have to try to figure out how to manage your own emotions and your own situation to try to still give them the best product. Because sometimes we drop the ball. Yeah. 
It's a horrible feeling to drop yeah. the ball, but sometimes we do. You made a comment earlier, and that's true, how stressful in that particular case, the caller was remodeling a kitchen, how stressful that, that yep. project alone can be. Yes. But we had a, a fun message from Mary who said, Hi, Denny, do you know why remodeling is hard on a relationship? Because that very fine sheetrock dust gets into your brain and makes one crazy. <laughs> nice line. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I don't really think there's been too many studies that I've actually seen relative to brain impact on drywall dust. Yes. But certainly I would agree that there's something that happens there. Somewhat related, we had a text. Uh, by the way, the text number is 81807 if you want to send your question to Barry that way. Uh, do they, Texter says, ever use plaster walls in new construction anymore? Well, how do you do one half of one-tenth of one percent? The answer would be yes. So for all intents and purposes, the answer is no. But there are situations where plasterboard, which looks like drywall, but it's designed for – it's called blueboard. It's designed for a backer for plaster, is used on walls. And then a skim coat that's real plaster is used over the surface of that. So the texture, the finish, and the look are plaster. But it's not the same thickness of a, you know, horsehair lime matrix from the old days placed over either wooden lath or wire mesh. It's yeah. not that. But we do use plaster finishes. Now, I know of a couple of builders who've actually had homeowners who wanted the real plaster, full thickness. But we're talking about, you know, over $10 million typically. Oh. Really, really exclusive market for that kind of finish. But it does happen. So I would never want to say never, never. But for, you know, the vast majority of humanity, no, no. We, don't, we don't see it. You've addressed this before, and I want to ask you again uh, about, you know, since you had so much experience in the construction business, finished carpenter, et cetera, uh, what, what are we, where are we going to get these new tradespeople, the young people who are coming up now? What are yeah. we going to find them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I find myself thinking about it from time to time, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to persuade even – I look at my kids, and those who have chosen not to move into – uh, that kind of a profession still find their need to learn how to do stuff so they can do it for their own homes. Sure. And I watch YouTube these days and recognize that we're seeing lots of, I think of trades information being, being given to us via the internet, but to find labor force, we're, we're recruiting all kinds of places. So there's programs uh, for troubled youth that are moving them into the trades. There's programs for people who've been through treatment programs of one kind or another, and they're being moved into the trades as occupational issues. And certainly those who have English as a second language are oftentimes coming into the trades. It's a much more accessible industry, and it is a challenge, and we continue to fight with that. I, I just find myself thinking that the experience can be far more positive than I think the casting of it by the culture has created a lot of people kind of look, those who work with their hands or their bodies, it's kind of looked down on. I think it's an art form. And my personal take is we tend to underappreciate people who have those kinds of skills. I think you're right. Were that to change in the culture and those people had a higher place of honor within the culture, I think you'd see a bigger draw to the work. Maybe you're right. I, I think that the sensation of diminishment that you, you get has caused people to say, well, I don't want to go someplace where I'm not known or respected. And it, it can feel that way. But once you move into, a, let's say, a status of a higher-end company and manage it well, that, uh, there's just no question that how we perceive ourselves is going to influence how others perceive us. And it, I tell guys in class all the time, you know, are you a professional? Do you perceive yourself as a professional? Are you offering a service or are you working for your customer? Mm. 
And the look on some faces, it's fascinating to watch. They think of themselves as hourly labor force because that's bet. where they began. Sure. But that's not, what they're, that's not what they are. They're professional contracting companies having to learn kind of a different skill set, different thing altogether. Uh, earlier in the show, uh, you were talking about uh, we were talking about how tight some of these newer homes. Oh are yeah, we never kind of fast finished that. But there was a text that because you were talking about plastic on the ceiling. Who was who was poking the hole? That was my granddad. That was your granddad. Yep. Well, the texter says, Barry, if you use plastic as a vapor retarder, it's saying the same thing. Could you perforate the plastic for moisture escape? Yeah, this, that's you know that's th- fascinating the way we think about this. And it's helpful to understand that the goal is not to have water vapor inside a wall cavity. Yeah. But anything we put topically, sheets, for example, over fiberglass, is subject to the need for perfect installation technique or we're going to risk that very thing. And that's not ideal. We don't want water vapor back there. So perforating kind of defeats the purpose, even though the perspective would be, well, then it could dry back to the inside. Generally, a wall space or an attic space has to dry out. If it gets wet from whatever source, could be rain, could be a breach in the siding, could be a leak around a window, it doesn't make any difference what's causing it. If it can't dry, it's going to be a problem. So we now teach from the perspective of how will that building component dry out? And if we haven't sorted that out, we really shouldn't be building it yet. And among the things that builders have done over the years is presume that whatever the consensus is, is a good practice. And years ago, we had basement wall problems because the consensus was to put plastic against the block foundation wall and then put fiberglass insulation in place, then put more plastic in place. Well, we now know that that consensus of the industry, we call that the diaper design, and it is a failed design. It just doesn't work. And yet, it was probably 12 to 15 years, the standard. And I was going to building science classes, and they were teaching us to do it that way. Hmm. And now we go, oof, that's a bad idea. And what's fascinating is if we can get continuous vapor retardant in the, capa- in the cavity itself, in between the studs of an exterior wall, for example, we are going to have the most efficient system possible. Hmm. But if you went to the building science gurus, they would say, put your exterior insulation and vapor retarder on the outside wall of the building. If you can do that, you'll minimize problems within the building. So... There are different thoughts about that, but that system tends to be way more expensive. So the best, I think, in today's economy for most consumers is to use a closed-cell polyurethane spray insulation. And by doing that, we don't let vapor move through it. So if water vapor moves through drywall, there's a little space back behind the drywall. We don't care because the insulation back there won't let the vapor move through it. And because the insulation keeps the cold temperatures at bay, it's not cold enough for that water vapor to condense. It never goes liquid. And since it doesn't go liquid, it doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. We don't care if there's water vapor in the cavity. We care about liquid water. Yeah. And that's all about where it condenses. So we're, you know, we're going to get cold this week, yep. and we're going to go take a shower, and we're going to notice the windows are all fogged over. Right. Condensed. And in some cases, they'll be running with little rivulets of water coming down. <laughs> and we're back to that paradigm of cold surfaces and higher humidity, and we create what's called a condensing plane, a condensing plane a place on which water vapor condenses out of vapor into liquid. Now, what we don't want is for that to happen inside their wall. And we certainly don't want to have it inside an attic. I had a homeowner and he called up and he says, hey, I'm looking up inside my attic right now. And he says, there's frost up there. I said, "Uh, okay, where are you seeing that? He goes, well, it's on like some of the nails up in the attic. And I said, so you've gone up into the attic and there's frost. I said, well, that's not abnormal for this time of year. We did 12 or 15 degrees below zero. 
And I said, so, you know, close everything down and just, we'll just watch it and see what happens. And because that's not a, that's not a typical, any water vapor in the attic space is going to condense on the coldest surface. So anyway, he called the next day and he goes, it's getting worse. Hmm. And I said, okay, so how do you know that? He says, well, I, I left my attic access open just a little bit <laughs> so I could shine a flashlight in there and watch it. And I said, you, okay, that, no, 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 no. You're giving water vapor a place to p- travel up into the attic. You're sourcing that condensation or that frost by having an air pathway that will carry its water vapor. Because, again, water vapor is held in the air, and it's moving into that space, hits the surface, condenses. He's made the problem worse, didn't understand the building science behind it, didn't realize he was creating the problem. Interesting. Tell you what, Barry, we have to take a break. We have more show to come. If you have a home improvement question for Barry, call it in or text it in on News Talk 830 WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our home improvement show presented by Lindis Construction every week for a lot of years. Now, Barry Strands is in filling in for uh, Andy Lindis today. And, Barry, I want to find a text that uh, came in unsolicited now, mind you, uh, that um, I think should be read. I think you'd probably agree. A texter says this, we are so grateful to Corey and the fine teams at Lindis. We had our roof replaced, added leaf guard gutters, attic insulation, and new LP smart siding uh, to our 1962 Rambler in the last year. Plus, our home is so cozy and beautiful, and the furnace is actually keeping up with temperature we set for both heat and AC for the first time in the 10-plus years we've lived here. Wow. Great workman, great customer service. Thank you, Lindis. All right, unsolicited. Nice. And I just thought it, because you agree, yeah, they're great people. Yeah, great they? people. Yeah. Uh, and they don't like making mistakes either. No. But, yeah, yeah. I, I want to tell people, every there's no perfection in this industry because no. you're using materials that can't be made perfect and you're using people who are generally not perfect. That's I mean, you right. might be. I'm not. No. And the challenge, of course, is to say, what does 98% look like? Can we yeah. get there? Yeah, because you know, normally that'll knock it out of the park yeah. for most people. So thanks for that text. And if yeah, you want to get in touch with Linda's 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. Please call him. Jim in Shoreview is on the horn. Uh, ask a question. Go ahead, Jim. We're listening. Yes, I'm calling about my about roofing. I got some black streaks on my roof, and most of the houses around this area do. I'm wondering what's the best way to get rid of that. Well, you're looking at algae on the surface there, Jim, and the best way to do that without replacing your roof is to use an algicide, which can be done as a chemical, or you can go down to a local home improvement center and you can buy something like a product called Moss Boss, which would be a zinc oxide strip that can be placed on the surface of the ridge of your roof up the top. It's nailed on there and you silicone cover the nails so they don't leak. And then you let rain hit that surface and as it releases zinc oxide, it kills the algae. Yeah. Beautiful. You can renew a roof in about two heavy rains. Interesting. Yep, and get rid of all the black and all the gray zinc streaks. Strip. Zinc strips. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. and get them all over the place. And that's, that's the same thing as you see, like, if you have a vent and it's, yep. it's clean underneath Exactly, that Danny. Yeah. Exactly. If you have yeah. a, because that galvanized metal has a zinc uh, 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 metal in it, yeah. and when it hits that uh, water, it simply oxidizes, releases zinc oxide, and we wind up with this clean, algae-free space. And you go, why are there these light places underneath these vents? Because that's what the color of the roof looked like originally. I don't know if I'd want to get up on the roof to put that zinc that's, myself. There are companies yeah. that will charge you real money to go do it. For, yeah. They'll do it. But uh, that's, that's the process. A texter wants to know, Barry, uh, again, I know we had a call about uh, kitchen remodel, but this is a little bit different. What questions should I ask for the references for a kitchen contractor yeah. I am considering? What do you ask? 
I well, mean, well I, they're saying references, so I, I assume that good companies have references. Be real honest. I mean, I, nobody out there in the business is going to give you a reference that's bad. I'm not going to give you somebody that doesn't like me and say, hey, you know, check them out. But I tell people this. You want a couple of recent, but you want to then see if they will give you references from 10 years earlier. And if they've been in business that long, that's always helpful. But then go back into their database and ask for references that have lived with their product to see how it ages and how well it's performed. And if there's been issues, what kind of service did they get? I think that the Biggest challenge to understand about a company is everything is not always perfect. So how do we service somebody? What's the service like? So I would ask a contractor for some service customer referrals. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do the people who've come back? Well, we had to go back and fix this because it didn't work. I want to talk to those people and find out how they serviced their installation or how they had their customer or their subcontract vendors service their product. I think that's huge. We just had uh, countertop separate. And some movement taking place, some settling taking place, and the countertop separated. And it's like, we don't want that. Mm. So, all right, so we called the people who put it in. They come back out. They fixed it. They no did. questions. Yeah, because there are service people. They have to. They know that. To keep our business, they got to service us. So they came out, to the, and the customers just gaga over. <laughs> I, I saw the crack. Now it's gone. I have no idea where it is anymore. It's fabulous. So good service sometimes is worth its weight in gold. And no matter what the... Uh, we do great work. No matter what the claim is, you need to validate or verify the claim that a contractor makes about they're going to be there in the long term. Very good. I know we're a couple of minutes to, to go here in the show, Barry, but I, I want to see how many texts we can take care of yeah. here. Uh, just had a beautiful new custom cabinets with off-white, professionally done finish installed. As I use them, chips appear. How can I best repair them? Will paint work? Uh, it doesn't say what kind of cabinets. Off-white finish that's yeah. enameled or i know i need to know more otherwise i'm going to give bad advice but let's assume it's enameled paint then yeah. yes you paint those spaces the battlefield of course is if it's a little chip uh they won't tend to be the same they won't be flush you'll need to actually fill them and then paint them and oftentimes touching up an existing enamel that was sprayed is challenging if it was another material that was selected maybe it's an mdf it's pre-finished in a factory and it's got this surface on it and is there a dent or is it just an imperfection typically paints where we go though to fix those kinds of things at least visually but i would go back to the source and ask the recommendation whoever gave it to me whoever i bought it from how do we repair these things i agree in fact somebody was really enjoying your presentation today uh I I so agree with what you just said. This is an earlier comment. I feel too, as far as the skills and the mm -hmm. respect, uh, I feel too, skills are valued. Communication is key for that. Could Lindis, oh, we're almost out of time. Could Lindis make a golden oak home white with paint and enamel and get rid of popcorn ceilings? Of course. Sure they do. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And those popcorn ceilings, as fun as they are, aren't that much fun. No. They're messy to remove. Just oh, warn you. Yeah. yeah. Done a few rooms, and uh, yeah. my wife said, hey, let's do this one now. Right. What do you mean, we? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. We got, we've got to run. Uh, Barry, I want to give the phone number for Linda's, and like you said, you know, you've been friends with Kevin and the, the family for a long time. Long time. And uh, 1-800-LEAF-GUARD. Now, you're going to be back again now? I'm back soon? in two weeks. Yeah, Couple back weeks. on the 17th. Yep. All right. Excellent. We look forward to that. I do too, and our sir. listeners will as well. Thanks. Barry Strands filling in for Andy Lindis today.